Hey guys, welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike. And today's co-host is Kurt. the same one that's been here for a year. No big deal. Why is that awkward every time? I think I we say that every single time we do this. It's almost like uh... <laughs> I got I nothing. Yeah, it's almost like nothing. and I'm, I'm seeing the trees outside your house right now. I'm drinking coffee. I'm staring so staring at the sky. Yeah. All right. Let's get back to business. Oh, business. Yeah, it's even, been a while for a podcast, so this is weird because it feels like it's like, yeah, like what do we we've do been, here? We've been slacking. Actually, we haven't. We've been on the road a lot. Super busy and working hard. So, dude, the expo is officially um, chalked up in the books. Yeah, it is. Uh, that was so my my personal feeling on the expo is that it was a success, uh, and we're ready to I think execute them. Uh, in a bigger fashion every year. I don't like how you said execute them. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a tribe upgrade member, you have potentially been executed. <laughs> uh, we, yeah. So I think it went well because originally, you know, we planned the expo and we get people will hit us up all the time about the expo. They're like, hey, what's the plan? How, how is it chalked up or lined out? And I think originally we were going to make it Almost like the SHOT Show. Yeah. The survival well, I, expo of the SHOT Show. Yeah. Well, you had an intent, right, about how we wanted to do that. And we wanted to go big because we like to do, you know, cool things and and make it, you know, value added to everybody. Well, the neat thing about this is we had to trim some things down just based off of involvement, you know, with, uh, with things that were outside of our control. But I think the core uh, reasoning behind what we did at the expo was a great success. I mean, we got... You know, it's not often you get a chance to interact with people that support your company or you get to really hear people's stories and interact with them. And so I think for me, <clears throat> some of the most impactful moments of the expo were people coming up to me and telling me like, hey, man, this one thing that you did, whether it was on Instagram or a podcast um, or anything where we shared information or our life story and made an impact in somebody else's life, like that's you know, was, um, I don't know, man, it was a big deal for me. I know, you know, you felt the same way we talked about it, but no, it was cool. I mean, that alone was worth it to me to get to interact with people. So yeah, originally the intent was to make it this big, big deal, you know, this like expo format where you come in, there's tents set up, people talking yeah, and there's not a lot of engagement outside of the, like a circus, like a circus. <laughs> yeah. Barlam and Bailey's curtain yeah. mics. Uh, I, mean, I have a jester hat on. And I'm you're just... out front juggling survival kits. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's cool is like you just said, it just became more intimate of a, of an experience because it was a lot smaller. We were, be, we were able to interact. Uh, we had the Friday, which was all tribe. You know, we we trained with them, which is really cool. That was really fun, actually. Yeah. Um, and then that we had dinner with them that night, and then we were able to do the workshops with the training um, going on at the same time. And I like the temperature swing in Texas, <laughs> where it went from like seventy five to sunny and sunny to like forty, 40 degrees, windy yeah. and raining. Um, which we had some. Everybody there was pretty hardcore because they stuck it out. And, uh, yeah, I was pretty impressed by that. I was like, oh shit, people are going to be like, I'm out of here. Quitting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then the best part of that is we were able to raise money for charity. I mean, that's, I think out of all the things in the expo, that's what stood out the most is this, is the fact that, you know, we, we all came together and when we needed everybody to step up financially and to be, you know, interactive and part of this experience, uh, we we managed to raise over seven thousand dollars in ninety minutes. Yeah, uh, in that expo, which, which was, awesome. was awesome. Yeah, you know, Reverly Peak Ranch was really great. 
for hosting us. Um, we had a, a, a myriad of cool experiences with them. In, in fact, we did an overland thing, which was off the cuff, yeah. where we overlanded up. Uh, Travis and myself gave a few overland tips in terrain association, et cetera, which ties in this everyday mobility thing that we're talking about. And then uh, we raised money for charity. So it, all, overall, it's a win-win. Yeah, it was cool, man. So super stoked. Everybody what do you think that, about next year? Um, I'm, you know... I'm kind of back and forth about next year. I know we've talked about it a little bit, and I'm sure we'll go into a, a deeper planning session, if you will. But um, I kind of I have this thing in my head where I don't want to make it somewhere specific. I want to do kind of like, you know, we did this one in uh, at Reveille Peak in Texas, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe this, you know, this coming year in the fall or something later on, you know, we're doing this maybe up up in Colorado or maybe in Northern Arizona or Utah or yeah, somewhere. Utah, yeah. somewhere cool where, you know, we're kind of, we're out doing what we like to do. I think that'd be real cool. I think, um, you know, this transition, if, if guys and gals haven't been following us or tracking the company, you know, we, we started out everyday carry survival and everything else. But what we realized with everyday mobility is the fact that everybody has a vehicle. Yeah. It's an extension of your rucksack. It's something that we're, we're talking about more often. And we've done that our entire special operations career. Yep. So when we're looking at evolving as a company, it's not changing what we do. In fact, it's only evolving what we do and increasing the capability. So right. everyday carry is, you know, obviously everything you carry on your person, your, you know, your concealed carry, your tourniquet. And you have to understand that it's not just carrying that stuff, but the training and the mindset that comes along with it. So the value we're trying to provide is the education and all that. Right. And then the migrations, everyday mobility, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, just like you said, I mean, you know, what you've got on your person is your initial uh, set of gear, if you will. And then uh, we, we've talked about this in other podcasts, but that vehicle platform is the next step up from what you've got on your person. So for example, you could have a more robust medical kit in there. Um, you could have uh, more food and water or whatever you decide to keep in there that makes sense to you. And, you know, again, we're not coming from a uh, like this, the crazy prepper thing where you're like, I've got 100,000 rounds of 50 cal buried under my house. But it's like practical stuff. It's, Which we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just us. So, no, but, um, but it's all practical usage stuff. So, like, I've been asked questions like, hey, man, I drive a Corolla. And I live in, you know, this metropolitan city. Well, that's fine. If that thing has the, the capability to get you around the city uh, in an efficient manner, that's fine. But, you know, kind of what we're really digging into is do you know how to change a tire on your vehicle? Do you know how to do basic maintenance? Do you know how to pack that vehicle out? So if you have to use it to leave the area that you're in, can you do that? What does the area outside uh, the initial area of where you live, what, it, what are the con, kind of concentric rings of terrain and geography and where you're at look like outside, several hours outside of that? Does your vehicle have the capability to make it through that? Because that's where you'd be going in a survival situation. Right. Yeah. Basically. So we, yeah. well, the big thing too, is we always talk about 72 hours of separation uh, from wherever the natural or man-made disaster is. And when you think in those terms, you should be backwards planning in a sense of, hey, in 72 hours, I can cover this much ground. And then what does that look like? What does the geography look like? 
or, you know, my, my geographical location look like when I get to that area, you know, does that Corolla do it? I don't know. Those are questions that you have to ask yourself. And I think just looking at all that stuff is just a better way to be looking at how, you know, you're set up in your preparedness with you and your family. So, yeah, I, I you know, I did an article on softblog.com, which is, um, you know, my blog, but I did a article on, Hey, what, what's what's what makes us unique in that space and everyday mobility because overlanding is an expanding genre that is blowing up everybody's overlanding everybody's offer i mean everybody's yeah. done that forever why do you think why what's your personal opinion on why you think that's happening I, I think part part of the reason is because um i think more so than ever before because of technology We've migrated to cities and urban environments, and we're saturated on a daily basis with technology. And people are looking more often than not to get out of to that. get out of that yeah. to escape. So it's like, what's the weekend escape? Well, the weekend escape used to be you go to Chuck E. Cheese and you play video games with the kids. <laughs> well, now it's like nobody wants to be saturated in anything. Even though Chuck E. Cheese is cool, man, it yeah, was like the, it was cool. The robots when they when broke, we were kids, they turned into like e. Cheese was the scary shit. robots playing guitars <laughs> on the stage, and they were all uh, it's weird. Yeah. Anyways, um, we digress. <laughs> Dude, I got a I'm weird like, visual. I of just that. took. Down, I just went. You just took me down memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> You're eating pizza. Your dad's drinking a beer and Chuck E. Cheese with kids, and you look up at the robots, and he's playing acoustic guitar, and he malfunctions, and his head's like spinning 180 degrees. And you're like, Dad, I want to go home. Oh, and then you dream about it, and you wake up, and you join <laughs> yeah. the army, and you're like, what? How did I get here? No, wait, never mind. <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah, I think it's because really everybody wants to get away. But I think what's cool about it is it's been defined now. Yeah. People call it overlanding, right? So now it has a – it's kind of like what we talk about in the military with the task organizing anything. It has a brand. It's, it's being uh, defined now we have Overland West, Overland East, we have these expos, we have these companies manufacturing. So there's all this synergy taking place. Yeah. My, it's not a problem. We don't identify as a huge problem, but what I like is the fact that we've talked about how can we improve the overall game of overlanding? Yeah. How can we pioneer something that we've done our entire lives? So the article I wrote was on the fact that, hey, in mobility and special operations, from the days of you know, the, the Pink Panthers rolling through North SAS, Africa, the yeah. SES, we, we've always had our role and it was always around mobility. How do we survive off grid and support ourselves and our units off of a vehicle? Yeah. And so the transition into we that- We were overlanding when that shit wasn't cool. It, it wasn't even a thing. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I, it, what sucks is I thought about this, is I've done, like me and Ben, I remember at the firebase in Naray, we were there for nine months and we used to test off-road capabilities. Yeah. We used to cross-load chow and water to see uh, what were the best setups, mounting guns, mounting weapon systems, and then establishing what were the best ways to build an overland rig yeah. and how long we can go without yeah. a resupply. And now I think about it, I'm like, man, if I could have the opportunity to go back, I know, dude, my Instagram would be off the chain. I'd have a Snowmaster fridge in my range. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I'd have two of them. Yeah. Um, but it's it it's cool now to realize that there's a commercial space, a market share, of you having the ability to kit out your vehicle to be able to survive. And so the tie-in is, look, if we tell you, um, there's ways to to go about training and structure like you can go out with your your family overland 
and then do a training course or internal uh, with your family about medical considerations yeah. or about off road or about, you know, any of the things that we do, um, that we've, uh, that we're training. It's, it's interesting. Like it's a, it's a complete experience just like we talked about and living out of your go bag and camping, but now you get to do it on, in your vehicle. Yeah. No, I think I second what you're saying about, I think it's becoming, uh, increasingly popular, if you will, because of the exact reasons why you just stated, which is we're saturated with technology. You're stuck in the urban jungle constantly. And then you want to get off grid a little bit. And the cool thing is, is, uh, I'm excited to do this with my family. So we've got a couple trips planned this, uh, this summer and I'm looking forward to them because my wife is actually interested in coming along, which she really hasn't been before. <laughs> She's yeah. like, you guys go work and do your thing. But now, you know, we're kind of, uh, you know, doing a little bit of a pivot or adding something into the capability, I think, of Philcraft, And that is the mobility side, which is going to be fun. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome, man. And, you know, the, we haven't even defined what this uh, podcast is about, but we're actually going to literally do surviving the night. I know we talked about <laughs> the night vision thing and then it turned into a, a rant about something, <laughs> which typically That's happens. That's what we do. Um, but, you know, this podcast is about surviving the night and we had some interesting uh, interactions with uh, some companies when we left the expo. We met up with Rigid. We met up with uh, one of their head sales guys, Albert, and we also met up with Jason from U.S. Yeah. Night Vision. So Bert's actually the national sales manager for Rigid Industries. So. Which is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, he's a big deal in this space. He is, yeah. If you're not familiar with Rigid Industries, Rigid Industries started in 2006. You know, five, you know, the short and, and skinny of it is five uh, guys saw a need in the market for lights. The only competitor at that time was KC, and everybody knows KC, the round light with the smiley face on it, right. which was iconic back in the day. And they, they established that there's the a, LED stuff. a want and yeah. need for better light systems. Yeah. They created an LED proprietary, like they're, man, I mean, in their front office, the patent wall is like <laughs> yeah. they got a billion patents. Um, but it's unique in the fact that it's, you know, it's all here, it's all made here in America. And then what's unique is, their ability to take a problem and solve that problem uh, in a short period of time because of the engineers, because yeah. of the manufacturing, because they have of the a, R&D, all an, on site. An absolute amazing support apparatus to deliver uh, quality product to the consumer, which is pretty friggin' awesome. And the, the neat thing about being there in general was, you know, they were always, uh, they project, you know, this... Not an attitude of always pushing the envelope to make the product even better. And so, you know, I, I think about our backgrounds and what we did in the military and we were always trying to be better. So having the opportunity now as entrepreneurs, guys that are interested in business, uh, guys that are doing a lot of different things and, and getting to meet somebody like that and uh, potentially, you know, get to work with them in the future. I'm pretty excited about it because we look at things the same way in our space. So, uh, yeah, super interesting. And it was like, I mean, they rolled out the red carpet and treated us really well. And, um, you know, so for those guys, thank you because it was awesome. Yeah. And you know, the best, I think the best part of that overall experience was the, the demonstration, you know, and, and me and Kurt are all about, you know, we're big into research and development cause we experienced that in special operations. Like if our team got a new piece of equipment, that we were looking at potentially purchasing to increase our capability, we were abusing the hell out of it in yeah. every operational sense. 
to be able to validate it and say, hey, this is no, no shit. This could survive in combat, yeah. which is the test bed, I think, for every single piece of equipment in the space. And so when you look at lighting in survival, what you have to understand is if you bug out or if you do anything, like it, whether it's on foot, uh, in a vehicle, the night is, is either going to be a, a benefit and an asset to you mm-hmm. or it's going to impede your ability to survive. Right. Meaning if you don't have the capability to, to see at night, mm-hmm. if you don't have the ability to move over land at night, then it's going to impede your uh, progress just like it does in combat. Yeah. And you're going to be at a disadvantage. Yeah. And, and the people who do have that mm-hmm. are absolutely going to have the advantage on the uh, survival battlefield, for lack of a better term. Yeah, and I even think, you know, from a pra- like uh, a very basic standpoint is, um, you know, you, you look at different uh, off-roading stuff and you look at different overlanding stuff and people do trail runs at night. And so, you know, I think what most maybe some people don't realize is there's actually – lighting capabilities out there that make, you know, that night trail run a lot more efficient. So, you know, if you're just running headlights, hey, that's one thing. But for example, if I've got eight rigid lights set up around my vehicle and that helps make the trail run more efficient, like that makes sense to me. And not only that, but when you're talking about safety, like, hey, let's be honest, like, look where we live. You try to go do a night trail run and, you know, for example, in your ray, as you're headed north towards Red Mountain on the right hand side, if you fell off of that or drove off of that, you're not coming back from that. So I think about that, you know, in in a pretty basic uh, way of saying, hey, this is going to increase my survivability slash if I'm doing this stuff with my family, like don't be a dipshit and have the right stuff. Uh, so you're not doing something stupid and hurting yourself or your family. So it's like, hey, man, this makes sense to have on my rig. You know, the rigs that we're currently building are representations of the best in the industry space. And, you know, Rigid, uh, we're working with Rigid and we're going to test and evaluate some some newer lighting systems yep. in the overland space, which, you know, it's it, it's done frequently. You know, Jeeps run Rigid lights. It's It's known. It's common. But I don't think anybody's going to run these lights like we run them. Between me, you, and Travis Hess, right. nobody's going to run these. And we have uh, a whole bunch of things, test um, evaluations, and epic overland um, journeys that are going to test and evaluate these lights in every aspect. One thing that I, I realized talking to Bert and him educating us is that not all lights are created equal. You, know, you think lighting systems arbitrarily if you talked about lights with anybody they'll just say hey whatever they look on amazon they find the the cheapest price point they go a light's a light yep but they're not created equal in fact um you know and we some, got to see that firsthand in the desert in crazy Arizona. crazy yeah. you know I, I in fact i've actually in, in recent conversation talked to somebody who was bragging about lumens which is the output of light i don't know the exact scientific terminology but the the the, the reality is Lights are measured off of lumens, which can, is based on intensity. Right. And, you know, a light could have a whole bunch more lumens, but it's the way that light's directed. Yeah, it doesn't way- translate into capability. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when you're trying to look at lighting systems and what you want to accomplish, for example, on the front of your vehicle, um, amber, amber lights cut through um, dust, dirt, debris, which you're going to find commonly in, in Arizona, Nevada, uh, parts of California, and in fact, all over the United yeah, States. Anywhere you jump off road and you're hitting a dirt trail, you're yeah. going to, you know, especially if you're with several vehicles, 
you're going to be dealing with that. Yeah. And so learning that amber light cuts through that. Uh, there's considerations for, for when to use uh, red light. Uh, there's different measures of how the uh, the white light is directed in yeah, degrees angles, and right? angles. Yeah, yeah they, they do it in angles. And, and where you're pointing, you know, whether it's a spotlight or a broader light that's, you know, they call it a driving light. You have to have basically the whole mirror of understanding yeah. to kit it out. And, and what I realized, you know, in looking at comparing price points and doing market research on lighting systems, uh, they're not the highest lighting uh, market uh, or they're that, not the highest price point. Right. But I think they bring the best capability and it's proven. I mean, these guys we went to the engineering facility and they had all these spheres and they had a shop nerd who had glasses <laughs> with tape wrapped around the middle of it. And they're literally testing bending light, you know, how it's, how it's applied in weather. They have a rain test box that tests the rain and how it could penetrate the potential light. I mean, they put some, I mean, I think about like particular fields, right, of expertise. You know, if it's a company that's selling a rack, for example, for a rig. Yeah. How many of those companies do R&D and do all these technical things on site most of them are just manufacturers, retailers, dealers, whatever. Yeah. But for the ability to have all this technology in-house to R&D to improve the equipment yeah. is, is unique in the space. Well, the, I, one of the coolest things that I noticed about Rigid is, you know, the core group of people that work there that are a lot of the decision makers are people that have been with the company since it started. And they kind of, I mean, they've literally grown up in the company from, you know, they came from different backgrounds, whether it was Baja racing you know, all these different genres within uh, their fields. And then they showed up at Rigid and then they just basically have been taking the game to the next level, you know, every year basically. And then promoting within and I mean, their business structure and everything they do is, is pretty awesome. So getting an inside look at all of that and, you know, basically looking at, well, actually one of the coolest things that we saw while we were there was their quality control checks and how they manufacture and make sure that the product that's coming to market is the absolute best with the lowest defect rate possible. Their defect rate is less than 0.05 or 005, which is like, you know, in the manufacturing, yeah, yeah, in the manufacturing industry is pretty freaking amazing. So, you know, again, like you were talking about price point, Rigid will tell you themselves, we are not in the market of making cheap lights. So are you going to pay for them? Yeah, you are. But you know that when you get it, it's something that's going to work forever. And they have a lifetime warranty, which is like, I mean, you look at things that are manufactured today, when somebody gives you a lifetime warranty behind their product, that says something to me, you know, so. I, I remember, you know, the first times that we used, I mean, we grew up in, in the infantry and special operations and on patrol on foot, we always use headlamps. That That's our lighting system. You know, early on, it was l shaped flashlights which was just <laughs> insanity to me to think that when you were a tunnel rat <laughs> dude you know i think about you know I, I even think about the personal uh lighting industry and it hasn't evolved much yeah. you know when we were using l-shaped flashlights we had filters and we would apply the filter to a bulb light a halogen light right yeah. and then you know we, we would we would realize that <laughs> this is so amazing to think about because it brings back <laughs> memories like when you're lighting an objective, right? When you're coming into a room and you have a light, we were taping mag light flashlights to our AR-15s. 
That was like the evolution, right? Well, yeah, in the very beginning, yeah, it was... That. And, that, and that's not long ago. Yeah. So we haven't evolved much because now, instead of electrical tape, we're using mounts, QD mounts. Yeah. And the lighting systems have improved on the lights, kind of. Yeah. Um, and then outside of that, you look at the, the headlamps. The headlamps have pretty much remained the same. Yeah. Now we're using LED, you know, the... The uh, minimalist survival kit we sell has a Petzl E-Light that has LED lights, yeah. uh, which is really good. Well, I think about it like in, a, in the terms of like the EDC thing, like a little headlamp is smart to me to have, right? Because, and again, you know, in this, the premise of EDC is what you have on you. And then the next step up is your vehicle. So, I mean, these capabilities all complement each other in my mind, but, you know, I like the idea of a headlamp. I always have even working in and around the truck. If I can be... Uh, hands free um, and not have to have a flashlight in my hand then and I can just you know throw a little headlamp on my head and then I'm working on whatever I'm working on obviously that's efficient so yeah a staple of survival is lighting you have to have a light and you know if you're rolling EDC EDM you know for EDC I carry a surefire v1 vampire one and then for EDM I carry a headlamp in my glove box or my center console or both yeah and, you know, we have them in the minimalist survival kits as well. But, you know, when we were young and in, in, in the infantry and special operations, we knew that when we got to a certain point at night, we had to use red lens flashlights to reduce our signature in uh, the patrol base. Yep. I'm thinking I just had a flashback of a poncho over the, like three ponchos over the top of your head doing yep. a map check. Because you didn't want to compromise <laughs> <Yeah>. yourself. <laughs> I feel like I was trying to get a go in ranger school when I'm Dude, <laughs> thinking back to that. It's crazy. I remember, uh, I'll never forget, uh, you know, in, early on in the GWAT, you know, 04, 05, 06, 07, the lighting systems we had. I remember the big deal was getting that Surefire broom handle. It was like the M300 oh, or something. <laughs> But it was ginormous, oh, man. Yeah. It, it added like an extra 10 pounds to your weapon Dude, system. Dude, it was insane. Yeah. And, but, I mean, for illumination-wise, it illuminated everything. And then for infrared light, you know, transitioning, uh, talking about it as it, for the EDC component, we had night vision goggles that had infrared lasers, whether it's early on it was a Pac-2 Alpha. Yeah. Now it's like an LA-5 and an Atpel. The civilian versions are the with U.S. The night vision triad, yeah, the, the triad, C1, yeah, which is an awesome, awesome height. Yeah, I'm more, I'm more impressed with it now that we, de- you know, Jason demonstrated it in the desert. Yeah, um, it, and it's a civilian light. It's like it I was like, that's better than the mill, <laughs> mill infrared vis lasers that we had. It's definitely squared away. Yeah, so sure. you had uh, the ability to flood or see because people think that you put on night vision and you can see in the dark. Yeah, well, it takes ambient light in order to see. So if there's no moon out, you actually can't see anything. I mean, it's, it's a big blob of green and black. Yeah. And then to see into the small spaces uh, where bad guys potentially would hide, you have to use an infrared floodlight right. to be able to see in that spot. Yeah. And early on, we were using mag light, surefire lights, white lights with filters. Yeah. And that's how we were burning through um, that, that light. Well, gosh, even if you look at, you know, vehicle technology and what we had, you know, with like Humvee lights and the filters that were over those, not really the most efficient. Uh, it was like a red lens flashlight <laughs> yeah. taped on a, taped on right. a Humvee. Yeah. Um, multi-million dollar platforms with, yeah, junk for, uh, the ability for lighting with it, IR. It, I think, you know, and we, we had made that point to rigid 
that if we had the light capability in infrared and white light that's on a rigid light bar in Afghanistan 10 years ago, I mean, it would have changed the game of, of warfare and movement of how we did it. Yeah. Because, I mean, I remember, and you've experienced the same thing, in, in uh, northeast Afghanistan, there's like one river, the Konar River, and there's one road. And if you fall into that river, <laughs> you're done. Yeah. I mean, we lost an interpreter that one of my rotations that fell in the river on his way to work. Yeah. Done. Dead. And rolling down that road at night, um, I just posted a picture of, uh, of us rolling around a bend in a Land Rover. That's how big the road was. It was the size of a Land Rover. And if you're doing that at night, you had to see bad guys. But more importantly, you had to see where you're going. Yeah. And so, you know, the, well, I mean, again, great, all great takeaways. Like when we're talking about military related stuff, you can easily relate that to, in my mind, the civilian, uh, mobility stuff and overlanding where, you know, you just made a great point. You got to see where you're going at night. And so, you know, there are, there are companies that give you the capability to be able to do that. So it makes sense to have those lights on your rig if that's what you're wanting to get into in the overlanding space. Yeah. Well, another application is hunting, right? If, if you're a, an avid hunter, um, you know, the abilities for UTVs, ATVs, all these off-road small platforms that can yep. get on single track trails is significant. Yeah. I mean, if before it used to be you get dropped off by somebody and you hike in mountaineering and you lived out of your pack, which mm -hmm. is awesome. That's an awesome yeah. experience in mountaineering and hunting and high country hunting. Um, but a consideration is now that you can get on a dirt bike, on an ATV, you can move to a location and be set, go hunt. And now you have the lighting capabilities on those rigs to get in these nooks and crannies in Idaho, Montana, you know, all these high mountain places yeah. and just increase your capability to hunt. Yeah. Outside of that, uh, just the recreational aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, you you drove and you drove all day, and mm -hmm. at night you're bedding down. Right. Now the ability for you to ma uh, maneuver overland with lighting systems is a huge, uh, really a huge benefit in in time. Really. Yeah. Um, what would be? Is there any evolution in lighting systems in your career in special operations and EDM? Uh, I don't think I saw no, any. No, yeah. I mean, on the, you know, for, for maybe a lack of better terms on the EDC side, but everything we carried for work, those lighting systems progressed a lot, I think, over this, you know, the span of the global war on terror, because obviously there was a lot of time and energy being put into those, but I didn't really see a lot on the mobility side with vehicles. Um, and so, you know, which was, which thinking about it now, looking back at it actually surprised the hell out of me because quite honestly, the government spent a lot of money, um, and time and energy on, you know, I would say some of the biggest equipment advances in the history of modern warfare have probably happened in the last 15 to 20 oh, years yeah. with every platform, every yeah. weapon system, every single thing that you see now, um, you know, again, technology and, you know, good companies pushing the envelope, the government tapping into, you know, the smart people in this country that come up with great ideas and advancing all of that to, you know, better serve our men and women downrange. Uh, I mean, it's been, you know, again, the last 15 to 20 years, probably some of the biggest advancements in history. Um, but as far as lighting on vehicles, no, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I remember even in night vision, I, the, the night, my best night vision 
was the dual um, AVS sixes, mm-hmm. which were which were aviator nods, and mine were dated like nineteen eighty something. Yeah, they were av- they were yeah they were for aviators or for yeah, helicopter pilots. for helicopter pilots, and then. And then mine we were, were the 31s. I had 31s. Yeah, yeah, you had 31s in the tail, and I had them too in uh, in 19th group. And, but then I look at uh, the evolution of even panos. Like people think panos is this new. Panos have been around for a decade. Yeah, I mean they were they've been around like old like they've been around forever. It's just people didn't want to wear them because uh, they actually weren't that good. Uh, I've worn them in, in combat before. And I didn't like them. I like I actually like the integration of the fusion goggles of thermal yeah. and IR cut, but. But also looking at uh, lighting systems, I remember mini gunning on the lead vehicle with the ICTF and using the Surefire Hellfire light that was attached to the mini gun to illuminate intersections. That was as big as the. <laughs> yeah, that was as big as the mini gun. It was like it was like dual mini guns. Right. <laughs> but I was I remember like use traversing the mini gun to illuminate like road intersections or obstacles to be able to spot. For the vehicle, the lead vehicle in a convoy, yeah, on the way to a, a, a raid, yeah, um, it, because the the vehicle itself didn't have a lighting capability, right? And so the Surefire uh, Hellfire was just a bright ass light that was big and cumbersome that ran off huge batteries, yeah, um, but it wasn't advanced, and this is a decade ago, yeah. And then looking at even even ambient lighting from chem lights to to small LED lights that were infrared on vehicles. Dude, I've been in probably 10 vehicle accidents with Iraqis and Afghanis trying to train them to <laughs> yeah. do train or nods. I even have a picture. I'll post it soon of like uh, uh, we were doing night vision training with the Iraqis, the emergency response unit in Baghdad. And the guy I was driving with ran into a palm tree in an open field. <laughs> yeah. And there was one palm the tree. The only palm the tree. The only palm tree. And he smashed it because he could see through the night vision, but there was no uh, ambient light from the moon. And so he was like, it's clear, Sergeant, dude, in front of me. I've hit barricades <laughs> with ICTF on ops. I've hit, <laughs> I've hit, I've ran into a van, another, the van in front of us, I've, GMV accidents, yeah. like, dude, just crazy stuff. I've had some pretty interesting experiences under night vision as well when it comes to driving. One actually makes me laugh. We were in Afghanistan and I had a great kid that was driving for us, but he wasn't an SF guy. He was our dog handler, and he was an MP, but I made him my driver. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'll never forget, I had done a bunch of driving classes with this kid under night vision. And so we go to jump in, and we leave super early in the morning. It's dark. We're going to uh, basically go get set up uh, to you know, go take out some shitheads and we're like falling behind the convoy and, and the kid's name was Billy. And I was like, God damn it, Billy. I'm, I'm like, what's your deal, dude? Can you like, can you, and he's like, he used to call me boss all the time. <laughs> so Billy's like, Oh boss. He's like, I, I can't see that well. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Like, and so I'm yelling at him for probably like 15 <laughs> minutes, like hurry your ass up, you know, get up there. We're friggin', we're losing the convoy. And then, uh, come to find out, it's funny. My gunner, uh, who you know that, you know, Joel was our 18 Delta, yeah. which is so weird because I ended up being kind of in a leadership position that trip. So I'm riding shotgun. Joel's in the gun is the 18 Delta. And he's like, hey, Billy, he's like, stop, give me your nods. So Joel throws them on real quick. And he's like, these aren't even focused. So literally, I'm like, get the fuck out of the driver's seat. And I run around <laughs> to the to the driver's seat, hop in and then catch us up. And anyways, we got it taken care of. But 
there's stories like that for days. Well, probably. that's it's it's crazy because there's a whole process, right? In uh, and education for that kind of equipment. Oh, absolutely. People don't know the limits and capabilities. I know when I used to train my guys using night vision, the first thing I do, like people want to put take night vision, they want to put lasers on guns. Yeah. I'm like, hey, let's just learn how to walk. Right. Because yeah. you know, a night vision, which you know, Jason's great at educating people on night vision. And what I think is interesting is you put on a, a set of nods and you don't understand that there's a, a limited set depth of field. Yeah. Meaning it's like having a camera and now your eyes behind the camera. You could only see uh, a certain space of focus. Right. And so to, you know, to adjust that will adjust your uh, really what you want to see in front of your, yeah, your depth, yeah, depth perception. perception. Right. And so Which like, is what screws everybody up. You think about back in the day when we were running sevens. Oh, God. <laughs> You know, dual basically ocular with one with little one output. tube, yeah, coming out of the front, and you would like bust your ass like every single time you put those on when you were in the field because your depth perception was so poor. Yeah, and you had no uh, per peripheral vision. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like you had oh. a friggin' toilet paper roll in front of your eyes, and now you're trying to be this badass ninja in the woods at night. Horrible. So obviously, you know, like I was talking about earlier with advancement and technology, a lot of the depth perception issues have been worked out because of the ability to focus night vision, Yeah, which is nice, but it's still there a little bit. And so like, you know, like you're describing, there is a training process with that. And it, you know, it starts with learning how to just get used to them, let your eyes adjust, start to walk with them. And then obviously you know, using the training principles, crawl, walk, run, you know, you have the ability to do that, whether it's shooting, whether it's maneuvering, whether it's driving, any of that stuff. Yeah. And I think as we, you know, as we evolve in EDM and, and educating people, you know, back in the day, which for nods and, and lasers and lights is like a day ago, right? Yeah. Um, it, it evolves and changes so rapidly Back in the day, you couldn't get a set of night vision for, for less than 10 Gs. Yeah. Now, you could actually get good commercial night vision relatively inexpensive. I think we even have a discount code. We do have a discount code with U.S. Night Vision. That's right. And getting a – my recommendation is in survival, um, not just – look, what was it, Travis, when we were, when we were sitting around with uh, Rigid Industries? <laughs> and he's like, you know what? He's like staring up at the stars. He goes, you know what? I like looking at the stars. Yeah, that was a that was kind of a mic drop moment. Everybody like stopped. It was like all you know, all these dudes out there. We got like, guns out, lasers. We're like looking, and he's like, you know what? <laughs> Everybody stopped and like, everybody's like, oh yeah, what, what? bro? <laughs> I like looking at the stars. I'm like, oh cool story, Trav. And and so. It's, I think it's, didn't you, you like pulled them to the side and like counseled them for that. You were like, look, man, we're trying to project a manly image around here. And you know, you're kind of watering that down a little bit. He had bit. a gun in the, his hands the rest of the night. He's he like, he's trying to prove himself. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think outside of the, um, the survival application of having the upper hand, look, there's so many things that you could use it for, right? Spotting game. There's a lot of places you can't, you can't hunt. Right. Uh, with night vision, but you can sure as hell spot because you could you could identify where animals are going at night, and then get their bed down location, and then identify where they're at, and then as it transitions to daylight, you have the upper hand. Yeah, you're gathering intelligence. You're gathering <laughs> intelligence. If we're telling you to do something illegal in your state, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Um, but you're doing reconnaissance essentially, but also the advantage of moving at night and really reducing your overall signature. You know, I look at. Uh, night vision, infrared uh, lasers, uh, even white light and how it's evolved. 
the time really is now to get to get all this equipment because it's actually evolving to something uh, really great. I mean, our, our time spent with Rigid, we saw a lot of the capability that Bert showed us out of the back of the vehicle showing us each light and its advantage. And I didn't realize um, the education process that took place on this. Go on rigidindustries.com and they actually have good educational uh, videos and uh, they demonstrate a lot of their stuff on how it operates and what the advantage is. Uh, if I was recommended or if I was recommending light systems at a minimum, I would run in your front grill or your front bumper, I would run some kind of amber um, spotlight. Whether that's your fog lights or a, uh, light, a light bar, have some kind of amber uh, capability in the front of your vehicle. Also, when you look at light bars, have a light bar that's going to have the advantage of illuminating the space uh, in front of you so you know what's, you know what's taking place. Also, um, I, I'm, getting, I'm opting for A-pillar lights, which has, you know, the A-pillar lights are the ability to see kind of at an angle yeah, which off cool. your A-pillar because yeah. when we're overlanding or off-roading, there's a lot of different ruts and a lot of different uh, ditches and stuff, especially yeah. in, in, in Boulder territory and Moab, where if you, if you just change the angle and deviate a little bit, you'll roll your vehicle. Right. Um, maybe not down a hill, but if you roll your vehicle in the middle of nowhere, you're, you're going to be hurting. Yeah. Um, so A-pillar lights is recommended. Also, the spotlights off the side of your racks and the rear. One consideration is your bed down. Like if you bed down, you should be able to utilize the lights off your rig to set up camp. Yeah, to light your camp. Yeah, and what do we do? We tested, uh, I know I wanted to go with red lights because that's the go-to for military applications, but it's kind of harsh. And then I, I did the civilian thing on you, and I'm like, amber's easier on my eyes. Yeah, and it was. We tested <laughs> yeah. them both, and I'm like, damn, the amber light, you're right, it's, it's, more, it's easier. And that's something that we're going to um, drive home is the fact that, hey, if you have a vehicle, you have a power plant. You have the ability to power auxiliary resources and equipment and lighting and everything else. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got these snow uh, master fridges and yeah. freezers that are powered off auxiliary battery power where we have the ability to drink a cold beer anytime we want it. When, when we're, we're surviving. Th- when we're surviving. <laughs> Who doesn't want to drink a cold beer when they're yeah. surviving? I'm, t- I'm going to tell you this. When the <laughs> shit goes down, I better have some motherfucking IPAs. And Pliny that, the Elder? Yeah. Oh, we God. need some IPAs in those fridges to I'm make sure. I'm going to drink a Pliny right now. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, but, you know, having the lighting systems uh, off your rigs and off the back of your rigs for setting up camp in Amber is something that we're going to be promoting. And I know a lot of this stuff... Because we're, we, we were inexperienced in the, in the new innovative lighting uh, practices that are coming out in the industry. Yeah. But I think with the relationships you build with Rigid, with Jason Hamilton from U.S. Night Vision, um, and then showing the R&D process, the education process. And the capability. The capabilities. Yeah. Uh, we can give the consumer exactly what they want, which is, hey, this works and this shit doesn't work. Yeah, which I'm, I'm actually really excited about that because... I think both of us realize the longer that we're out of the military and kind of doing our own thing is this has been an interesting path for us because we're reconnecting with things that uh, we enjoyed in the military and now we found kind of a civilian application for it. And it actually makes sense to educate people on it. So, which I mean, hey, let's be honest, every everybody out there is searching for something they can do that not only you know, uh, do they get paid to do it, but they love to do it, which, you know, makes and we you love to do yeah, this, which stuff. makes yeah. you passionate about it. So, 
uh, yeah, man, looking forward to this. It's going to be cool. Yeah. I mean, we get the best of all the worlds that we were in in special operations, except no happy ending. We don't get to go after bad guys. <laughs> yeah. That kind of sucks, but you know what? Now uh, I'm doing a, uh, a, uh, now I'm doing a raid on my Snowmaster. Oh uh, yeah. In <laughs> and the I'm middle interdicting of the night. an IPA. Yeah. <laughs> You're crushing those Doritos, bro. Yeah. Like you crushed ISIS. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, lighting is is something that we anticipate you're going to see a lot more of in the future. Uh, we got a whole bunch of overland projects here in the in the near future. Um, I, what's up for training uh, in the in the near calendar? So yeah, the next well, geez, couple weeks you'll be in Arizona, twenty one, twenty two April at Cowtown, running a gunfighter pistol and a gunfighter carbine. I'm going to be out of the net a little bit, uh, doing some work for the company. Um, I'll be on the East Coast. If you need to get a hold of me, obviously send me an email or DM me on Instagram. Um, and then we are also talking about setting up a kind of an overland medical mixed course in California, potentially um, on the same date. So either 21 or 22 April in Ceres, California. We haven't committed to that 100% yet, but we're trying to work through some of those details um, if we do put that up, obviously pay attention to the, our social media and then fieldcraftsurvival.us is where you're going to go to sign up. So just so everybody knows, .com is no longer around. Fieldcraftsurvival.us is our new website. And yeah. Yeah, we're migrating everything, you know, uh, you know in tr- full transparency, we're ma- basically moving the entire company shipping facility from the East Coast to the West Coast. And as we do that, we're going to... Uh, um, you know, increase our overall capability to put out equipment um, to R and D stuff and actually get stuff made. We're consolidating. We're consolidating. Absolutely. Yeah. We actually have a whole bunch of new products that are going to be coming out. They're actually being manufactured now with some really good companies. Um, you know, one thing that I'm going to put out there is we're, I am going to start a, what's called an everyday carry course and an everyday mobility course. One of the, uh, you know, we've been hit up a lot about, hey, are you going to run a concealed carry course? So the everyday carry course is going to be a course that teaches you concealed carry considerations, puts you through different scenarios, um, but also um, teaches you about the tourniquet, the application of it, lighting, everything that is in everyday carry. The everyday mobility course is going to be the same deal, living, operating, fighting outside of your rig. Uh, so the EDC, EDM courses are coming soon. Now that the weather's clearing up, we got some things freeing up on the calendar, uh, stay tuned for that. It's going to be really fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I What I love about all this is like taking our experience in the military and taking those lessons learned and, and giving practical takeaways to make people more efficient uh, as civilians with whatever they're doing. So yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. And don't don't feel out, left out. You know, a lot of people are like, well, I don't have the money. I can't buy a cool forerunner or hey, I just, I you know, I have a Honda Civic. You know, when we talk about this stuff, as we release equipment, as we, we talk about the education of this stuff, it's not just based off of a fancy off-road rig, which is going to di- differentiate us from, the, from everybody else in the game. Right. Which is, hey, to do everyday mobility, to practice operating out of your rig, you don't have to have a $75,000 rig kitted out. Yeah. You can actually do it out of what you operate with because you have the space, you have a capability that's there, and why not you know, take advantage of the equipment that you have? Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, for sure. Let's go drink some IPAs. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I hey, think that's it. Well, I want to throw out one thing because we did mention that we have a uh, we do have a code with U.S. Night Vision. U.S. Night Vision is a 
a fantastic partner of ours. We've been extremely lucky not only to be introduced to them by a guy that you and I both served with in our, our old lives. Old sniper buddy of ours. Yeah. And, um, and they have been an absolute stand-up company, and we've gotten to know the ownership there, the leaders of that company, and they're stand-up guys. And so we're real appreciative of that relationship. They were nice enough to extend a code uh, for people that are supporters of Fieldcraft and they're interested in night vision. That code is Fieldcraft, um, and that gets you 10% off of their website. Which is a big deal. Yeah, which, In you the know, night vision realm. Yeah, when you're trying, I mean, you know, like Mike said, that stuff has definitely gotten cheaper, but, you know, it can still be a little bit pricey. So, in my mind, any little bit helps to, to kind of take something off the top. Uh, so, I would encourage you guys, if you're looking for lasers, night vision, thermals, anything like that, check out U.S. Night Vision. They've got a website. Check them out. Google them. Uh, good company, and we're proud to be a partner with them. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Until next time. Stay alert. Stay alive. <laughs>